Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome a familiar name to this podcast, Dr. Peter Weirden, and also the parents of a young patient of Dr. Weirden, uh, who we'll introduce in a moment and explain uh, how they fit into this particular discussion. So first of all, Dr. Weirden, welcome back to Regenerative Medicine Today. By way of background for our listeners, uh, Dr. Weirden appeared on podcast number 44, where he explained some of his pioneering work in terms of mechanical circulatory support. And I might note that uh, Dr. Weirden has uh, uh, two interests. One, he's an active cardiothoracic pediatric uh, surgeon. And secondly, that he's a scientist who is also involved in helping new and advanced cardiopulmonary Uh, support systems, uh, particularly for children and infants. Dr. Weirden, you briefly just uh, give us a a synopsis of uh, both your efforts in terms of using uh, the -the state-of-the-art, which I believe is the device called the Berlin Heart, and then also a brief uh, overview of some of the new advances that uh, you and some of your uh, team are working on at this time. Uh, thank you, John. And just to bring your listeners up to speed with what we had talked about before, about mechanical t- circulatory support for children, and the other term commonly used is ventricular assist devices, or VADs. VADs can either partially support or completely replace the pumping function of the heart. The heart is not removed from the chest, it remains in place, but the blood from the heart drains into the VAD, and then the VAD will replace that pumping function. As you know, we've been working in the laboratory on a number of different devices, and that work has progressed very nicely. Uh, One of the devices is called the PediaFlow device, which is a device that was invented at the University of Pittsburgh and the McGowan Institute in collaboration with Carnegie Mellon as well as World Heart, uh, and we hope to implant at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh within the next couple of years. We've reduced the size of this VAT to the size of a AA battery, and we continue to test it in animals. We continue to work with a couple of devices from the Levitronics Corporation that have similar functions to work as VADs, one being called PDVAS, and the other, a newer device, a more permanent device called Ultramag. Simultaneous to this at Children's Hospital, we've been working with the only device that's currently available in the United States for use uh, for VAD support in children. This device is known as the Berlin Heart X-Core, E-X-C-O-R, This device does not have FDA approval. It is currently in what is called an IDE trial, and we hope that soon it will have FDA approval. And this is the device that we implanted in uh, Ethan, who we'll talk about in a minute. The Berlin Heart is a little bit different than the other devices we're working on in that it's what's called a pulsatile paracorporeal pump. And that means that this device has a bladder that will fill with blood and then there is a membrane, and air is injected on the other side of the membrane, forcing the blood to be expelled into the patient. And that's why it's pulsatile, and it's pulsatile just like the heart is itself. The other pumps we're working on are continuous flow pumps, and they flow continuously, much like water coming out of a faucet. The issues that we're facing and the issues that we'll talk about with Ethan are clearly our blood was not designed to go into artificial chambers and materials, so thinning the blood and preventing it from clotting is one of our biggest concerns, and the other concerns are infection. We are very thankful that in the Ethan case that we explored a new territory, and that was recovery of his native heart function. He was able to have his Berlin heart removed without necessitating a heart transplant. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Weirden. I, I just might ask, uh, in terms of making sure all our listeners understand, so you have a device that is we've called the Berlin Heart that uh, has been successful in, in at least the number of cases that I'm aware of. But uh, you continue to develop this new and advanced technology. What will the advanced technology bring to patients that the uh, current technology does not offer? Well, I think that's a fantastic question. And the Berlin Heart has worked very well for us, but there are still significant issues. And with any technology, there's always room for improvement. Because it is a volume displacement pump or a pulsatile pump, it requires a fairly significant amount of space to be occupied, and that means it has to sit outside of the child. It could not be implanted inside the child. This makes mobility an issue and also increases the risk of infection. With a continuous flow pump, we can make it very small, and as I alluded to, the size of a AA battery. This could be completely implanted within a child, and we are hopeful would therefore reduce the risk of infection and potentially allow them to be more mobile and discharged from the hospital. A particular emphasis that we have at the University of Pittsburgh and the McGowan Institute is a focus on what we call biocompatibility. And we want to make the most biocompatible pump possible. The most biocompatible pump would be a pump that did not require any special medications for thinning of the blood, would have basically a zero incidence of infection. Now, this goal might not be achievable to have the perfect pump, but certainly we want to continue to work in that direction. Okay, very good. So I think that leads us to the second set of guests for this podcast, and that's Dr. Joel Gradowski and his wife, Cindy. And they're the proud parents of Ethan that uh, Dr. Weirden has just made reference to, who is a two-year-old young man who uh, had some uh, cardiothoracic problems. So I'd ask the Gradowskis to uh, perhaps just give us a brief introduction to the nature of the problems that their son had, and then we can talk about how Dr. Weirden and his clinical team uh, addressed those. Thanks, John. Ethan was not symptomatic of any sort of a heart problem, and we were just at a pediatric checkup for his shots, and she had heard the heart murmur that he had, and we had gone down to have an echo, and it was found that he had an atrial septal defect in ASD, and we were told that we should have it repaired but that we could wait for a little while because he was only nine months at the time that they found it. And so we waited until he was two, and we came back, and we saw Dr. Weirden, and it was determined that we would have the surgery to repair the ASD. And he had the surgery, and the surgery was successful. We were planning for a three-day or so hospital stay. And Correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Weirden, because I'm so emotional about it when I think back, but I think he had woke up from the surgery. I remember you coming in and telling me he, he did well, and he asked for his mother, and you can see him in 30 minutes, which we went back and saw him, but then he started to experience really bad complications and had to be re-intubated, and we didn't know what was going on, and he was having a really hard time breathing, and at the end of the day, he ended up having two cardiac arrests and one of which took place in the cath lab. And Dr. Weirden came and told us that he had had coronary arteries that were, and I don't want to use the wrong terminology, why don't you go ahead and take over from here? So Ethan was a very unique case and certainly one of the most trying cases that I've ever dealt with. He had an operation that virtually should have a 100% success rate, and as uh, his mom described, he should leave the hospital in three days. For reasons that remain unclear for us, although we have some theories, 
he suffered significant heart failure in the hours following the operation. After it went very well initially, uh, he quickly developed fairly severe heart failure. As his mom alluded to, this first manifested itself by heart failure so bad that he required to be placed on the ventilator. He then recovered uh, brief from that and then experienced another episode of very profound heart failure. When we have a kid that we've operated on that we don't know what's going on, one of the steps we do is a cardiac catheterization to try to determine exactly what's going on with the heart. When Ethan was on his way to the cardiac catheterization lab, his heart stopped uh, and he suffered a cardiac arrest. And this required us to place him on the ECMO machine, which is basically the heart-lung machine that we use in the operating room. And this can support the function of the heart and lung for a period of time. So uh, Ethan was, as we say, crashed onto the ECMO machine in an emergency fashion. Uh, At that point in time, we did do a cardiac catheterization, and he certainly was in significant and profound heart failure, and his coronary arteries were extremely small and diminutive. At that point in time, we thought that he had been born this way and that he was sort of getting by, but the stress of the operation caused a significant stress on his heart and caused him to essentially have heart attacks. Okay, so then that leads us to the point where you and and Ethan's parents elected to uh, use the artificial ventricular assist device to uh, support his uh, cardiac function. Right, so I'll never forget uh, walking out into the uh, waiting room to tell his mom and dad what we had found and with really no explanation for it. He did remain on the ECMO machine for, I think, uh, about 24 hours as we were hoping that Uh, We may see some recovery in his heart function. However, we did not. In the year 2009, the treatment of this profound heart failure would be heart transplantation. It can take uh, up to three months or more for us to uh, find a suitable organ for a child Ethan's age for heart transplantation. And the ECMO machine is really only efficient at supporting children for 10 days or less before serious complications develop. For that reason, at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, we've increasingly utilized the Berlin Heart for these children to perform what we call a bridge to transplantation. So this replaces the heart function until a suitable transplant heart can be found for them. And so with his parents' permission, we then took him to the operating room and placed the Berlin Heart from the ECMO machine, uh, and then he came back uh, to the ICU after that. Very good. So uh, the success and the celebration is the outcome, and uh, Dr. and Mrs. Gradowski, I understand that Ethan's doing quite well now. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, he is. We were told because he had also, as a result of everything that happened to him, suffered a stroke, and we were told that Ethan wouldn't see um, and may not have his motor skills or talk, and Ethan is seeing perfectly fine and watching movies and talking and repeating everything to the point where Joel and I just spell everything now. He's doing remarkably well. He's in physical therapy and occupational therapy five days a week. And as Dr. Weirden and I were chatting about earlier, he's now taking steps on his own with the help, of course, of his push toys. He still needs to balance himself on his push toys. But he is doing remarkably well. And he's been evaluated. He's evaluated all the time, and they're evaluating his cognitive skills at 36 months to 48 months on some level. So he's just, he's amazing. He's amazing. That's wonderful. I haven't had the chance to meet Ethan, but I've seen some of the photographs of him in action, and uh, I can tell he's a very uh, bright, alert, interesting young man. 
Dr. Weirden, you commented that you elected to uh, not do a heart transplant with Ethan. Can you explain the, uh, the rationale and the strategy for that decision or that approach? Well, John, we would not place a ventricular assist device or artificial heart in a child today unless it was what is we call a bridge to transplantation. So that means every child that gets one of these devices is on the transplant list prior to the device being placed with the expectation that they will need transplantation. And, in fact, the vast majority of them do. However, this technology is very new to children, and we don't really know the potential that some children may have to recover. Ethan is a very unique case in that the etiology of his heart failure remains somewhat of a mystery to us. However, as the weeks went by on the Berlin heart, we routinely do echocardiograms to check for heart function, look for clots, and things like that. And many of us had noticed that Ethan's heart had essentially begun to recover, and its function was normalizing. Because a heart transplant trades one set of illnesses for another, if you can see it that way, and I mean that by the need to take anti-rejection medicines, uh, heart transplants don't last forever. They may last 10 to 20 years, and you need another heart transplant. We would certainly like to prefer to avoid heart transplantation. Because we had noticed Ethan's uh, cardiac function had normalized uh, after extensive conversations amongst the physicians caring for him as well as with his parents, we decided to do another cardiac catheterization. At that cardiac catheterization, it was noticed that, in fact, his heart function had normalized. And more importantly, his coronary arteries now appeared to be normal. We still don't know why they became so small or in such a high degree of spasm, but clearly that was the problem. For this reason, we did what we call a weaning trial on Ethan, and that's basically turning the machine down and then off and seeing if the heart can pick up the function. Uh, and in Ethan's case, it certainly did. He told us that he didn't need this ventricular assist device anymore, and we were ready to remove it. So he was taken to the operating room, and the ventricular assist device was removed, and his heart did pick up the entirety of its function and able to support him, and then he was brought back to the ICU without the device and ultimately recovered over the next several weeks and was discharged from the hospital. Very, very fantastic. And I, I might ask my understanding that there are adult patients who have had various cardiac issues that were a VAD has been used as a, a bridge to recovery as opposed to a bridge to transplantation. Is that a correct? Correct. This is still an area that's, it's, that's poorly explored, but there are certain adults, particularly adults with what we call postpartum uh, cardiomyopathy or mothers that have given birth to babies and their hearts fail, for again, for reasons that aren't entirely clear, and these devices can support them until they recover. And this is something that both in adult and pediatric that we need to learn a lot more about because certainly the focus of the McGowan Institute is to capture the body's innate ability to regenerate and to heal itself. And these devices basically buy time for the body to heal itself. And the more that we can utilize them with such a function, certainly the greater benefit. So, Dr. Weirden, when you had Ethan and you were making these decisions about how to treat this new and interesting case, uh, were there other complications? Well, certainly after a cardiac arrest and unfortunately after a prolonged time on ECMO, the other organs can begin to fail. Most notably, uh, renal failure can develop as well as hepatic failure. And certainly with enough time, pulmonary uh, and other organ systems failing. 
what we have found is the use of ventricular assist devices as opposed to ECMO allow for the recovery of these other vital organ systems. And that's exactly what happened in Ethan's case. He had profound and severe renal failure and also some hepatic failure that reversed with time on the Berlin Heart Machine. This is uh, perhaps an opportunity to ask Dr. or Mrs. Gradowski about their observations and impressions. You had a son that was on ECMO who, who ultimately went on to a uh, ventricular assist device. Uh, any observations or impressions in terms of, uh, of that experience? Yeah, I, I can answer that, John. ECMO, for people who don't know, is, as a parent, a hard thing to have a child on because the chest is open and you know, the blood is circulating outside of the body, and the children are really sort of sedated and paralyzed. And as soon as Ethan you know, got transitioned to the Berlin heart, um, then there were periods over time as he got better where some of his sedation was weaned off, and eventually before he was taken off the Berlin heart, he was riding around in a wagon and was starting to say a few words and showing us some signs, you know, that certainly on ECMO you don't see. And, you know, also being a pathologist, I sort of understand how you have a fixed amount of time where you can be on ECMO before you start to experience organ failure. And Ethan certainly had organ failure, and it was really remarkable that while he was on the Berlin Heart, his kidney function recovered, his respiratory function recovered, his liver got better. It was, it was an amazing thing, and it gave us hope. He was on the Berlin, and he was stabilized after that surgery. We were able to help hold him, and I actually held him probably 12 hours a day. So, again, for our audience, how, how long was Ethan on the Berlin heart? It was five weeks. Which is actually quite amazing that in five weeks a, a sick heart can heal to the point that the support system can be removed. It was unbelievable. Uh, Dr. Weirden, I believe that you've had some experience with bridges to recovery with pediatric VADs. Is that a correct uh, assumption? Yes, it's been limited experience, and the initial experience was within older kids, uh, adolescents who were more like little adults. Ethan is the second small child that we've been able to use the VAD as a bridge uh, to recovery, and certainly it's something that we're very interested in in pursuing further to see if there are like more kids that given enough time will heal themselves. In terms of uh, the parents' perspective, uh, do you have any other thoughts that you would uh, like to share with our listeners? I do, John. I'd just like to say that here in Pittsburgh, we're very, very lucky to have Children's Hospital and to have Dr. Reardon and his colleagues who have surgical skills and the experience with these devices. It gives children like Ethan a chance to live there are very few centers in the United States where I think he would have lived, and this is one of them. It's a tremendous resource. I would echo that, and uh, in terms of our opening discussion, uh, the fact that Dr. Weirden not only is uh, using these uh, emerging technologies to address these types of problems, but also actively working in terms of uh, advancing the state of the art and improving uh, the opportunities to support uh, children like Ethan and others who have very serious cardiac problems, not only is a tribute to uh, Dr. Weirden, but to his colleagues as well. So we, we're all very appreciative of that. Ethan's the real hero here. 
and he's an amazing little boy, uh, and he has an amazing family, both the parents and his extended family that never left his bedside. We're in his corner the whole time, and in my heart, I believe that that plays a huge role, too. This has been a fascinating discussion about the applications of -of state-of-the-art technology in terms of mechanical circuitry support, and also to learn a little bit more from Dr. Weirden in terms of some of the advances that are soon to be with us. So I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Weirden and Dr. and Mrs. Gradowski for joining us and sharing their experiences and insight. And as we conclude this podcast, I would like to remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions in terms of topics can be addressed. I also want to remind our listeners that we cannot diagnose medical problems via the Internet. In terms of suggestions, you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And as we conclude, I'd like to say thanks to the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors these podcasts and also to look forward to another exciting interview in two weeks. Thank you and best wishes.